Well, hello, everybody. It is great to see you. As always, it is good to be together, good to have the opportunity to continue on with our worship as we celebrate this Palm Sunday weekend. We hope that uh, you're inspired along those lines and also to dig into our Strength and Weakness sermon series. We're about two-thirds of the way through the series, and uh, we're going to take out another piece of that today. My thanks to Pastor Jason for last week taking the message. He did a fantastic job with that, as he always does. And uh, so my gratitude there, and also my gratitude to you just for being here and uh, having the opportunity to share with you this text of Scripture that's so very important as we continue on with this passage. Now, before I actually jump into it, I want to actually look forward and uh, talk about next week just a little bit, because we're going to jump outside of our Strength and Weakness series just for a little mini-series, a little three weeks. We're calling it Resurrected. And uh, you say, well, we've been talking about this writing of Paul to the Corinthians. Why do we have to leave that? Well, we don't have to leave that, because we're actually going to be looking at something else that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth from his first letter, chapter 15 is where we're going to be for that series. We sometimes refer to it as the resurrection chapter because it has so much to say. You might say, well, I guess we're coming into Easter. It makes sense. We do something on resurrection. Yes, it does, but that's just the beginning, and that's what our little graphic says, that Easter, just the beginning, and there's so much more in that chapter, and it talks about so much more than Jesus' resurrection, yet it still deals with the resurrection. What's all that about? Well, we're going to talk about that starting next week. I invite you to invite others to come and be a part of that as we have our time together next week. And looking forward to that, but also looking forward to jumping into this passage that's in front of us as we continue on with Strength in Weakness today. So, as we get started with this, just a little story here. For more than 30 years, there was a couple, their name was John and Stella Chan, and they ran a a restaurant, a donut shop called Donut City in Seal Beach, California. And they were just a beloved staple of the community because they'd been there for so long. And they just served side by side in the restaurant for these 30 years. And then some people started to notice that Stella wasn't there by John's side. And they started to ask, well, what in the world's going on? And so John told them that she'd actually suffered a brain aneurysm and was in a local nursing home trying to recover from that. And uh, John would do his work slower than normal because she wasn't with him and would get done with it as fast as he could so that he could go and visit her there at the nursing home every day. And this is when some very generous customers started to step up on their behalf. And one of them actually made the offer to pay for all of Stella's medical bills and expenses there at this nursing home, which was fantastic, except John wasn't about to accept the handout. And so he said no, but that didn't deter the the faithful customers. They wanted to show and demonstrate their generosity in some way. And so they came up with a different idea, knowing he wouldn't accept any handouts. What they did is they started this social media campaign that asked the customers to come in early and often and to buy a lot more than they normally would so that they could get him sold out quickly so that he could go and visit Stella. And so customers who typically would buy one or two donuts were coming in and they were buying four and five dozen donuts each to try to sell them out. People would even come in from surrounding counties and even surrounding states to be a part of this. And the fact, the truth is that it worked. And many, many mornings, what would happen is that John would actually be sold out there at his Donut City shop and all 
cleaned up, and on his way to the nursing home by 7.30 in the morning. I think that's just absolutely fantastic. I love that story from these people who just wanted to do something to demonstrate their own generosity. I love that story of kindness and and generosity as we see it in them. And here's the thing. Today we're going to talk about another story of generosity. Another situation where we see much the same thing. Now, some people get a bit uptight and a bit stressed when they hear that you're going to be talking about money and talking about generosity, which really doesn't make any sense because study after study shows that when we actually learn and lean into generosity, that, a- that actually benefits us in tremendous ways, including emotional health, including physically, it benefits us. There are benefits. Studies have shown in realms of things like pain management, depression, dementia, mental and health benefits. In fact, one study showed that generosity reduced blood pressure as much as medicine and exercise. Just think about that. That sounds like if you get your giving on, you can stop with your Peloton. If you want to. I mean, that's just something that you could. And now, just a minute ago, we learned that generosity can actually be connected to buying and eating eating donuts. I mean, that's perfect. Who knew? How many of you think you could be generosity if it just, be generous if it just means eating donuts all the time, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think we can all get in on that. Well, the generosity that we're going to be talking about today actually has nothing to do with donuts, though it does have to do with not just frittering away your time. It doesn't have anything to do with donuts, but it does have to do with something that can change your life completely for the better. So we're going to be talking about. So instead of shying away from this topic, like sometimes we want to do, we don't want to talk about it because we think if we don't talk about it, I'm going to be more satisfied or I'm going to be more comfortable in my life. We're not going to do that. We're going to lean into this because if the wisdom that we're going to look at today can be believed, leaning into it is actually the very thing that will lead us to the greatest satisfaction and the greatest comfort. And so today we're going to talk about what it means to be generous. That's what this passage is actually all about. Helping us along is this letter that is written by the Apostle Paul to a group of people who desired to be generous. But here's the thing. They weren't quite getting it done. Now, isn't this the story of a lot of us? I mean, I don't think I've ever met anybody who didn't want to be generous, but the fact is sometimes we don't always get it done. We don't always follow through in what our intention might have happened to be. Now, some of you are fantastic at following through, and some of us struggle maybe a little bit more with that. And so Paul's writing to people just like us. And so if we can take and learn Listen to what Paul has to say as he talks to other people who are in a situation very much like we are. There's a lot that we can learn. So, I'd invite you to go ahead and turn to this part of this letter. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and we're going to begin in verse 6 today. Be helpful to have a Bible open in front of you. You might also want to grab the outline that is available in the Pathway Notes and look at it there. It's available on our app also, the the in our app, you can go ahead and access all of the sermon material there as well. So you can follow along well, take some notes, and hopefully this will help you along the way. Second Corinthians 9, beginning in verse 6. This is the end of two whole chapters that the Apostle Paul has given over to this very topic. So what I want to do with you today is take a look at a few different attributes of the person who is generous. 
All right? So the first of those is this. The person who is generous actually will give freely. That's where this starts. They will give freely. That's the first attribute. Now, this passage we're looking at is found in the context of Paul getting donations for some people who were in dire straits. In dire straits because there was a famine going on in the land. These are people who had been dislocated from their homes. They had been persecuted. They'd basically been bullied. And Paul is coming in and he's saying, I want to do something about that. I want to take up a collection so that we might be able to assist those people. And as he's going along, he's talking to the people who he's inviting to contribute to this cause about the principles of generosity because they're thinking about it. They're, they've maybe already made a commitment or they were thinking about making a commitment. So he says, let me tell you about it. And because it's an agrarian society, he sort of just puts it in their language or in their own terms. So he begins, verse 6, chapter 9, 2 Corinthians says this, remember this, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Paul's pointing out that sowing and reaping, just like giving and receiving, isn't something that we should think is mysterious or is difficult to understand at all. No, he's just saying what the farmer sows is going to have a direct impact on what the farmer harvests. It makes sense. Sow a little, get a little. Sow a lot, get a lot. And he's saying here, as it is with the farmer, he's making this application, so it is with you when you respond in in generosity or when you respond in how you give to the purposes of God to benefit God's kingdom. He's saying the same thing is 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 at play. You give a little, you provide a little, you get a little back, a little influence back. You give generously, bountifully, then that is what is going to be experienced coming back as well. Invest a lot, reap a lot. It's actually pretty simple, but there's a difference between the farmer and when it comes to planting or sowing for God's purposes and ministry. And here's the difference. The difference is that when the farmer sows, the farmer receives, one-to-one. Paul is saying there's something else going on here, though. For the one who gives to God's purposes, it's not a one-to-one relationship, it's a one-to-two relationship. One gift actually benefits two blessings or brings two blessings. One of those is for the purpose of the ministry or the person who's being helped. There's a blessing that goes there, but there's also a blessing that comes back on the donor when we're giving to God's purposes. That's what he says here. And Paul is going to address both of those, but he starts by inviting those donors to consider what sort of impact they're making on the part of the poor and hungry, the ones that he is taking up this offering to benefit. He knew that in their heart they wanted to make a big difference, so he's just saying, okay, here's how it's going to work. If you give a little, then they'll be blessed a little. But if you want them to receive bountifully, then consider generosity. Consider pouring out on their behalf. That's just what verse 6 is is talking about. It's that simple. And by the way, he says this one and two principle means that the blessing of being abundant toward them is also a blessing that's going to come back on you. It's a one to two principle. And with that on the table, it's like Paul is sort of concerned. It's like, I don't want them to think that I'm trying to twist their arms. I don't want them to think that I'm trying to manipulate them. And so he goes on in the next verse to try to sort of explain this, explain that generosity is not about coercion, it's about intention, that he's not trying to twist their arms. So he just comes right out with it in verse 7. He says, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly, you're under compulsion, not under what I, like, don't think I'm trying to force you into something. He says, for God loves a cheerful giver. 
I believe this verse speaks to what has been a major complaint for some people when it comes to giving, especially to the church, because you might have come out of a background where there was a pastor, where there was a teacher who sort of turned the screws on you on this and really pushed you hard and really sort of said, here's the only sort of gift, here's kind of the level of gift that God would be accepted or God would accept from you that is going to be acceptable to us and that sort of thing. And if you've had that kind of experience, I get it. I get it. I understand it. I've heard plenty of that in the past. Paul says that the decision of what to give is yours, not theirs. It's yours. He says, give what you've decided in your heart to give. And when we invite you to give around here, that's exactly what we want you to do. We're not saying here's the exact amount that you need to give. What we want you to do is pray. We want you to connect to God. We want what you choose to give to be exactly what God is calling you to give. We talked a couple of weeks ago about grace giving. That's something that God has poured out on us, His grace, and He's leading us to respond. And here again, it's just a matter of what is God leading you to do, and our desire is that you would respond according to what God's desire for you would be and what you understand Him to be leading you toward. And so that's what it is really all about. And that's the only way that you're going to ever become a cheerful giver. Because if you're giving according to compulsion, you feel it's something that you, you owe, it's like a bill you have to pay, it's like you're, you're doing this for the sake of somebody else, but I'm not in this at all, you're thinking, you're not going to be cheerful in that. He says, I want you to consider with God what it is that He would desire for you and then do that. Because as you do so, you will give what you've decided in your heart to give and you will become a cheerful giver, is what he's saying. That's also what leads to God's blessing, verse 8, going on. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. This is so great. Paul is saying that when we give, we should do so expecting that God is going to act. See, he's going to act to bless the ministry or the kingdom purpose that you're giving toward, and He's also going to bless you. It's just God's formula. When you give, God gives. And when God gives, we give. Maybe you've noticed that the way that God oftentimes gets His work done in the world is through His people. And so, it only makes sense that if God is going to use us to pour out to accomplish His purposes and His ministry, that when we would do so, that He would return back to us so that we might be able to continue to be generous in increasing ways for the sake of His purposes, for His causes, for the ministry that honors Him. It only makes sense. That's the way that it works. So, I've got a question about all of that. When God returns to us, When He blesses us in return for the way that we've been generous to Him, is it always going to be financial? See, some people say, I'm not going to give because I'm afraid that if I give away my money, God's not going to give me money back. He's going to bless me in some other way, and so I can't give because if He doesn't give me money back, then I'm in a losing proposition. Is it going to be financial? We might start to ask. Well, God can do it however He wants, but there's certainly indication here that it's at least going to be in part financial and probably in other realms in other ways as well. Verse 8 again says, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. At least in part, that's talking about God's people continuing to pour into ministry and God continuing to supply you with what is needed to continue to pour into ministry. It's a cycle. It just continues to perpetuate itself. 
It just keeps going and going and going. And at least in part, that's financial. But the blessings that he's talking about here aren't merely financial. It is, but it goes beyond that as well. Back in verse 7, Paul highlighted that a generous giver is a cheerful giver, which is an interesting way to describe it, but it actually probably doesn't go far enough because the Greek word used here for cheerful means more than that. It actually is the root word from which we get our word hilarious. He says, I want you to be a hilarious giver, which means eager, means happy. It means engaged. It means pleased to be engaged. Then there's this blessing of seeing the impact. That's part of it. Then there's the blessing of seeing the impact of the gift on the one who receives the gift. That's also a blessing that comes to us, that we can see that sort of benefit in their lives. And then also, not to mention the satisfaction of knowing that in doing so, we're living according to the purposes of God. All of those are things that are blessings that come back on us. If you look at verse 9, you can see this particularly. Paul is quoting from the Psalms here, and he says, if you look at verse 9, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. He's saying they're being generous with the things that they have. So what happens? Their righteousness endures forever. He's saying as they do so, they are finding themselves in a place where they are living as righteous. That's another benefit that comes on us as we choose to be generous is that we're living in accord with what God's call would be on our lives. So it's a win-win proposition all the way around. And yes, it's financial. And yes, it goes beyond that. It's all of those things and more. So when Paul describes the generous, he says one attribute is that they give freely. He goes right on and he gives another. And that is that they receive bountifully. I've already seen some of Paul's thinking on this, but he takes it even further here. Verse 10, look at it. It says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every... Just listen to all this description. It just sort of builds on itself. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Paul knows that people oftentimes get concerned about whether or not they're going to have enough to meet their needs. So he talks about the farmer here. And the farmer is one who would be concerned about whether or not the crop is going to be adequate. The harvest is going to be adequate to take care of him and his family and help him to pay his bills and, and all of that. Basically, a farmer gets, gets one check a year, right? They're paid at one time during the year. Am I going to have enough to make it all the way through? And am I going to continue to have enough resources so that I can plant another crop next year when it comes around? Now, most of you aren't farmers, but you might feel this same sort of tension, right? Am I going to have enough to provide for my family? Am I going to have all that I need maybe to provide an education for my kids or to have enough to make my way on into retirement? Is there going to be enough there or am I going to run out? And when we come to that sort of a, a crisis point or a tension in our lives, we have this this, uh, I don't know, we fall into this pattern of wanting to start to shrink back from the idea of giving and giving and giving or being generous. That's oftentimes one of the th first things that we take off the table when we get concerned because it's like, well, if I don't give there, I'm going to have that much more left over for myself. And after all, what happens if, if uh, I lose my job or what happens if 
There's an emergency expense that comes up or, my, or I have a health issue that comes along. So one of the first things that oftentimes we take out of the equation are acts of generosity so that we might go ahead and provide for ourselves or think that we're providing for ourselves. And I got to tell you, from a human perspective, I get it. From a human perspective, that makes sense. Paul's trying to teach us a different perspective, a heavenly perspective is what he's driving at here. He doesn't want us to get trapped in a mindset that hangs on too tightly to the things we have. So back in verse 8, if you look at it again, Paul points out that the generous person doesn't have to worry about any of that because he says there that they will be blessed abundantly and that they will have all that they need. It's like, if you're concerned about, am I going to have all that I need? Read the verse. It says exactly that. They will have all that they need. And this isn't the only place in the Scriptures where we find that message. In fact, in the economy in the Bible, receiving is always connected. Receiving is always connected with releasing. In the economy of the Bible, receiving is always connected with releasing. In fact, in the Bible, it's the miser, the one who's trying to take care of themselves and their own future that is the one that gets called out. Then here in verses 10 and 11, Paul makes the same point again, but in different words. He says that God who supplies will never fail to supply. And talking about the generous one, verse 11, Paul writes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Not uh, maybe once in my lifetime, I'll go ahead and be generous. So you're going to be enriched so you, you can be generous on every occasion. Every time that sort of captures your heart, there's a need here. I should respond to that. It's like, yeah, I've enriched you so you can do that. Interesting. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Once again, we see God providing. But don't miss what it's for. He says that God is going to enrich you so you can pad your bank account and live in luxury. That was a joke. That's not what he says, all right? He says you'll be enriched in every way. Why? So you can be generous. Any way that you slice it, God's enriching the generous again and again and again. Not just so that you might enrich yourself, but so that you might continue to be able to engage in the work of ministry, which is one of the things that is going to bring you the greatest fulfillment of all. And that's where he goes as he sort of finishes this up. He talks about this last of the attributes. Person who gives, or person who's generous gives freely. They'll receive bountifully and lastly, will inspire broadly. They'll inspire broadly. Earlier, we spoke about the fact that generosity is a one-to-two proposition. One gift provides two blessings. We've already seen that one of those blessings comes to the giver. Now he's going to go on and he's going to wrap up this passage by talking about some of the blessing that goes on the one who receives. And obviously there's the benefit of whatever is given helps them to accomplish their purposes, but it even goes beyond that to this sort of inspiration that we give to others just through our giving. So listen to some of this as he goes on. It's a broad benefit, verse 12. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, the poor and needy in Jerusalem who are going to be receiving this offering. It's not only supplying for them. It says this. It says, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. 
First of all, he says that people are inspired to the point of giving thanks to God because you've been generous. You being generous is benefiting that person and that person, the one who sees the way that you've responded in generosity, the one who receives that generosity. It just responds. They all respond in thanks to God because of what you've done. You're leading other people closer to God because you're choosing to be generous. It's inspiring broadly. That's one area. He goes on. There's more. Verse 13, because of this service by which you have proved yourself, your generosity, Others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. He's saying that generous people are not just giving word service. You see what he's, this is interesting how he says it. He says, they'll give praise to God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. Some people are all words, right? Some people are like, yes, well, Jesus this, and yes, Jesus that, but they aren't engaging in what Jesus actually calls them to do. They're saying, thanks, there's praise to God because of your obedience that accompanies your confession of Christ. Generous people aren't only words. They follow through on what they say they believe. And in this case, that leads the believers in Jerusalem and Judea to praise God because you gave an offering. And that's not just something that happens in the Bible I've had opportunity to stand in villages in different places around the world and like Orkarkar, our sort of partner, partner group there in Kenya, and to listen to people give praise to God for the sort of generosity that you have poured out on their behalf as people from Pathway have endeavored to make the projects happen there. The people in Orkarkar are giving praise to God. Your helping them to soar closer to God because of your generosity. I've stood at wells in Ethiopia next to believers who are giving praise to God for the fact that finally they have clean water. Where'd that come from? It came from your generosity for giving on their behalf. They are being drawn to God because of the work that you have done in responding in generous ways. And we can point out a number of other circumstances that are very much like that, many of them much closer to home. Your generosity leads others to worship God. You're changing the, the, the behavior. You're changing the mindset. You're leading other people to God just by the way that you give. That's what Paul says. He goes on. That's not even all. Verse 14, and in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Your generosity will prompt others to pray for you in their hearts. In their hearts, they're going to develop this deep affection for you. And this means so much here because you may remember, we've been talking about this for the last couple of weeks, that the people who are receiving this offering, who are in such need, are in Jerusalem, they're in Judea. These are people who are primarily of Jewish descent. The ones who are giving the offering are primarily of Gentile descent. And you know, if you've been around here any period of time, the Jews and Gentiles just did not get along. They were arch enemies back toward one another. But what's happening here? Because the generosity of the people in Macedonia and Achaia who are taking up this offering, because of their generosity, there's a warmth, there's a connection, there's a love that is developing between the Jews and the Gentiles. That's incredible. That is very powerful. Just imagine how we might be able to make inroads into what has perhaps been circumstances where there's historically been 
angst back and forth between people, where there's been opposition or rifts or hostility? Where might it take us in race relations or ethnic divisions or ideological differences that we might have? Just what might it do for us? fact is that generosity can take us so much further than animosity. And that's what's being demonstrated here. And people are drawn into relationship with one another. They're giving thanks to God. They're praising God. Their lives are being transformed because of the generosity of people who have given. And the people around you can be influenced in just exactly the same way if we're willing to respond in the same way. People that maybe you've been desiring to have an influence on. Maybe there's a new path to consider. Then he wraps it up here in verse 15. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. What's the indescribable gift that he's talking about here? That's an actual question to ask. I actually think that there are two that he has in mind. They're connected, but they're different. He has just talked in verse 14 about the grace of God that's been poured out, and I think the first piece of the gift is related to that, that it's God's gift to us of His Son, the indescribable gift of forgiveness, of the cross, of the opportunity for relationship with God that draws us into fellowship with Him, that gives us hope, that gives us a future. But I think the gift has something to do beyond that. And I think part of the indescribable gift that he's referring to here is the abundance that God pours out in our lives. The resources that He blesses us with so that we might be able to be generous. Let's be sure that we keep this in its context, right? This whole thing has been talking about the way that God supplies, the way that God provides talking about His indescribable gift in that regard as well, things that are given so that we might be able to participate in ministry and in responding to God's purposes in our world. There's no doubt that we have all been blessed in, in great ways by God and that some of those relate to resources that He has given to us. Now, we haven't all been given the same amount, but we do all have the opportunity to respond with the same generosity according to the amount that we have been given, right? We all have the ability to step in and be these people that are being described right here. As we've been saying, when we give freely, we will receive bountifully, and we will also inspire broadly. And the possibilities of all of that is right in front of all of us, and we just need to decide whether or not we're going to get in the game or whether or not we're just going to allow it to pass us by. It's a choice we need to make. Now, if Paul's to be believed here, and that's something that you need to decide for yourself whether or not you're going to believe, but if he's going to be believed, then the path of the generous is a path that actually has no downside. Jumping into deep generosity has no downside. It aligns us with God's purposes. It brings us enormous blessing. It draws others closer to God. It draws others closer to us. It draws us closer to God. And it meets 
meets needs all at the same time. And if you've ever jumped into any sort of consistent generosity, you already know that. You could be up here teaching this lesson. If you haven't stepped into that or haven't with any sort of consistency, then I want to challenge you and invite you into it, that you would experience the blessing of all of this. Second Corinthians only has 13 chapters. Paul has just devoted two of them right in the heart of the letter to this topic because it's that important, that we would understand it, that we would live into it, that we would jump forward, maybe not just according to what we've previously considered, maybe there's something else that God has in store as we seek to be grace givers in this regard. The notion that abundance can be found through being tight-fisted, friends, that's just a lie. Abundance comes through generosity. It's not that we're going to gather up and up and up and we're going to be better off because we've been tight-fisted. No. It's as we engage in the purposes of God that the blessings that are described here come more and more and more. Greatest abundance is found through the greatest generosity. So I'd encourage you to pray and give it a try. There are a number of different ways that you can jump into that here at Pathway. And there are always in the Pathway notes different ways to give that you can just get connected. Or if you're skeptical to the point of thinking, no, that just sounds way too self-serving, Pastor Jeff, then fine. Give it somewhere else. Find some other God purpose to invest it in. Give it there. My desire is that you would learn this principle more than that you would give it right here. But I don't want you to just walk away from these two chapters where Paul has just been so abundantly plain and so abundantly practical and just say, yeah, that's for somebody else. He devotes all this time to this so that we might learn it, so that we might grow in it, and so that we might learn it. So I want to encourage you and challenge you to pray to ask God, God, what would you have me to do? And then respond accordingly. Because as you do, there will be an abundant blessing. Financial? Yes. In other ways? Absolutely. That's not just my take on it. That's exactly what Paul's telling us. So let's live and be those people and experience all that God desires for the generous. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this text, these chapters where Paul has been so amazingly candid, straightforward, to help us to understand. Sometimes, as we pointed out, we, we run from this topic. We think that if I can avoid it, that's going to lead me to a place where I just feel more comfortable. I don't have to talk about it. I don't have to think about it. That's going to be the wind for me, only to realize that that's the loss for us. Lord, help us to take you at your word, to lean in, to give it a try, to see how you respond, knowing that you've promised us a blessing and that others are going to be led to give thanks to you, to give praise to God, to be drawn into 
a warmth of relationship and love where maybe there's been tension and strife in the past. But all of these things are available if only we'll take you at your word. So today, we want to do just that. Lord, for those who might be skeptical, I just pray that you continue to speak to them. Lord, that we might just have a willingness to give it a try and see how you might just respond and reply according to the promise that you give us in your word. Lord, this can be a hard, oftentimes the last area that we relinquish to you in our lives. I just pray that it would be last no longer and that we would jump in for the blessing of others, for the blessing of ourselves. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.